how do you price your architectural services? Maybe you charge a percentage of build costs or come up with a fixed price, or maybe you charge by the hour. But what can we learn from how other one-to-one service providers price and position their services? In this episode of Architecture Business Club, I chat with Janine Coombs about a different approach to pricing and positioning your services. Architecture Business Club is the weekly podcast for solo and small firm architecture practice owners, just like you, who want to build a profitable, future-proof architecture business that fits around their life. I'm the host, John Clayton, and if you want to get notified when I release a new episode and get access to free resources and exclusive offers, then go to mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC and sign up to my free weekly email newsletter. Right, let's get on with the show. Janine Coombs is a service positioning expert who can help you earn much more from your one-to-one services without slogging your guts out or moving to a complicated business model. She has an extensive background in business and marketing, including working with big brands like EE Orange and Europe Car. And for the last seven years, she's been helping small service-based business owners to better position and sell their offers. She regularly speaks on big stages like Atomicon, You Are the Media and Marketed Life. She's also a skilled writer and flat out one of the most creative content creators out there. You can grab Janine's free guide, Six Steps to Charging More with 100% Confidence at janinecoombs.co.uk forward slash charge dash more dash workbook. Janine, welcome to Architecture Business Club. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the lovely intro. Oh, you're very welcome. It's nice to get the chance to have a chat with you. Um, before we dive straight into today's topic, I hear you've done some stand-up comedy and I wanted to ask, how did it feel the first time you went out on stage to do comedy? Now, I feel like I might have oversold myself here because the first time was also the last time. But it was great. I mean, I did a, I did a stand-up comedy course culminating in a showcase where we all had to do a five-minute set. You're far braver than me. I would not have the uh, the guts to, to do that. Um, and I thought, was it was it a good thing that it wasn't quite as packed a room? Was that good for the first time? For, for me, I thought it was, yeah, it, it really allayed any nerves I had because I have spoken on stages before for hundreds of people. So seven, I thought, oh, God, I can handle seven people. Well done, you. <laughs> so let's move on to the, the topic that we were going to talk about. And typically, there are three ways that architecture practices typically charge for their services. Um, a percentage fee of build costs, hourly rate, or a fixed price. But today, we're going to talk about a different approach to, to pricing architectural services. This also applies to other service based business owners as well um, and it's based on how coaches and consultants do things and we're also going to cover positioning and, and niching so I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into this I think it's going to be really interesting so um, Janine what common mistakes do you see service providers make when it comes to pricing I wouldn't tell people stop charging by the hour stop charging by percentage of the bill cost whatever you're doing at the moment but what i would say is a common mistake is selling architectural services if you know what i mean instead of selling the benefit if you can find a way 
to um, promote yourself based on the end result. And part of that is being clear on who you want to work with ideally, who you've worked with in the past that you've really enjoyed, what did they say they wanted when they first spoke spoke to you? Um, if you can position it around that and, and carve out a, a corner of the marketplace for yourself that is just yours, you're going to have less comparing with competitors because in theory, like a direct competitor um, becomes less of a thing. Like There are fewer direct competitors if you can carve out your corner of the marketplace. And it's going to make it easier to, to make sales as well because people who you love working with are going to see you and say, oh, okay. I want to work with that person and um, they, you become the only person for them rather than in a sea of architects. You're just yet another architect and leaves you open to people comparing you based on price, cost per hour or cost, you know, overall cost, project cost. You, you want to, as much as possible, move away being a commodity, move away from being a commodity if you can. Oh, that's really interesting and that's the opposite of the way that a lot of people within our industry do things. Uh, it is often about um, selling the the service rather than the the outcome. You know whether that's building design or, or selling plans. So that's uh, so it's a different way to approach things for sure. Yeah, and it could be quite a big departure. And I mean, at the end of the day, people are looking for an architect, so you can't be too esoteric. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine you still. <laughs> You know, you still have to appear in front of people as an architect. It's like, yes, I can solve. These are the things that I actually do. Um, you're in safe hands for these things that you're going to expect an architect to be able to do. Um, but yeah, I think the conversation we're going to have today, it's it's drawing on what I would advise coaches. You know, my bread and butter is coaches, consultants, mentors, that kind of one-to-one -one service provider. What can we learn? What could we explore for architects to to cross-pollinate and learn from those industries i love that because i think that there's um there's so much that we can learn from people in different professions and different industries that we can we can cherry pick the good bits and apply those to our own business and our own industry so i love that idea that we're, we're talking about you know how people from perhaps another world do things and looking at how mm. we can apply that to architecture business owners i think that's really great so how can we as you know architectural service providers architects you mentioned a little bit there about um how we present ourselves so how can we better present our services to potential clients um so this is easier if you've been running for a few years <laughs> because when you've been running for a few years you have you know many clients under your belt and you know exactly who you like working with and exactly who you don't like working with. When you're first starting out, it's a bit more of a trial and error. You're, you're deep in the trial and error. You know, you think you've landed a good client and then they, they don't pay you or they, they force you out of scope or, you know, horrible things happen. So when you've been around the block a bit, it's easier for my, my process is based on people who've been, been around the block and had a good many clients already because in an ideal world you would have a look at the roster of clients you've had in the past identify the ones that you really love working with they brought you really exciting projects they've paid you well they've paid you on time they don't quibble they don't nitpick they don't try and negotiate you down they don't try and compare you to other people too much um, and then you can start noticing the themes in those clients and usually there are themes with the types of projects and the types of personalities of the people 
that you know have come up in your research when looking at your old client base. Um, and then you can, once you've got that clear, then you can start appealing to those people. So you can imagine an example might be like, maybe you like really love working with like boho people who have an eccentric approach and they they want you to run with it and they've got a massive budget or, you know, you can imagine any kind of variation on that theme of, of a mixture of values, personality, what they want from you, budget, you know, and using those combinations, you can put together your own unique proposition. I don't know whether I answered the question there. I went off on one. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. No, there's some really valuable insights there. Um, yeah, so if we are, if we reflect on the clients that we've already worked with, reflect on those previous projects and look at which clients we enjoyed working with, which ones paid on time, um, which was generally a good experience for us. It was a good working relationship between us as the service provider and them as the client. We can hone in our messaging on our positioning on attracting more people like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes a virtuous circle because if you get a few more clients like that and then because you're focusing in on that and you enjoy working with those people, you get better results they tell their friends, so you sort of get into the right circles um, and hopefully you get more referrals of the right kind. That's interesting, getting the right kind of referrals. Is that mm. is that a common problem that you found with other service providers maybe getting the wrong referrals? Yeah, it's rare that I come across a client who comes to me saying, yeah, I'm getting all my work through referrals but they're great. Every single one is completely my ideal client. I mean, it's just really hard to control what what kind of referrals you get. Um, I think it's luck. If you've managed to get pure referrals that are brilliant, I think either you're very, very easy to please or you've been very, very lucky. I think, you know, especially in the early years, it's so tempting, no matter what your business is, so tempting to accept all the business. It's like all businesses, any business is good business. I need money rolling in. I need clients. And then gradually you start to think, hang on a minute. <laughs> um, I don't think I really want that. But to an extent, I think people, it's another theme I see when working with service-based business owners is um, what I hear a lot of is I like the variety though. You know, people are telling me to niche, but I like the variety. And I think it's not 100% true mm. i think you can have variety without accepting non-ideal clients that's a good point um i wanted to ask about fee proposals and what approach that you'd recommend when sending out a a fee proposal or quotation have you got any thoughts on that janine um what is it Paint the picture for me. What's happened? Where are they in the in the sales process? Um, well, okay. It it could be it could be that somebody's either got in touch, made an initial inquiry. Again, different architectural practices will have a slightly different way of doing this, but it will either be a case where somebody's got in touch, they've had a conversation with the service provider, uh, maybe there's been an email exchange. And then either then they'll cut straight to the chase and send them out a price or more commonly what will happen is perhaps 
They might go out to visit the customer, particularly if it's maybe a homeowner that's looking to do a, a home renovation. They might go and see them in person, visit the property, and then follow that up, often with a simple proposal that perhaps just gets emailed off afterwards. Um, I'm just wondering if there's any better ways that that could be done, if, they, if there's any better ways to presenting and, and sending a fee proposal than just pinging it off via email and hoping for the best. Mm. This is a, it's a really good question. So I think if somebody has just emailed you and asked for a proposal without any communication, I think that it's not necessarily a red flag, but I would, I would hold off from sending just a blank proposal. I mean, you don't know, do you, until you've actually had a conversation. But I mean, those, those conversations and those, um, the, the insights you're going to get and the information you need to put together a, a quote, like an accurate quote proposal, that's all part of the relationship building. So I definitely wouldn't share any pricing, any accurate pricing or detailed pricing before that relationship building has been done um, and that information gathering has been done. I suppose after you've, you've you know, maybe gone to visit, maybe you've looked around, you've, you've done the... Uh, due diligence or whatever you call it and you've put together you've got enough information to put that proposal together I think emailing it is fine some people have a lot of they prefer actually to present the proposal so that's one idea and before I talk about that I would like to state you know if it ain't broke don't fix it if you feel like you've got your proposal process and it's working for you disregard what I'm going to say <laughs> if you feel like you're you know winning the proposals you want um but I have had certain clients have had success with actually saying, okay, so we've had we've had a conversation. I've looked around the house or looked around the property. We've met in person. I'm going to do your proposal. What I normally do is present that back and then they can present it. And what that allows you to do is cover off any objections as you go along. It's so much harder to say on a, on a piece of paper to to explain the value of all those different stages and ex explain that you you can't, haggle you can't take out that chunk you know that chunk costs say you know two grand to do that chunk no you can't take that out because the whole thing will fall flat and it won't work so it's easier to present that face to face or on zoom rather than sell, sending it via email and, and hoping for the best um, another point to make is in any way shape or form if you can put the final price after reiterating the benefit of what you're helping the person achieve, like say they've said, you know, what I really want is I want my mum to move in with me and I want her to feel not, I want her to feel like she's part of the family, but also to have her own space. Like, you know, what you can imagine the conversations that are around that might be quite emotional and might be quite rich and full of certain language. If you can reiterate that on the proposal before putting the price, instead of putting the price next to, some hours or a percentage of the overall cost that will remind them what they're paying for is the result. They're not paying for your hours. Does that make sense? I love that. So if in those initial conversations, before we get to the point of presenting a fee proposal or sending off a quotation, we can dig into, find out what the, the underlying reasons are, like the, the kind of emotional hook, if you like, as to why they're doing this thing. Mm. Um, and then to give them a reminder of that when we present that price that say, look, you know, 
this is what it this is the price but this is to to give you this transformation of you know your your elderly relative moving in and 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 you know all being under one roof whatever the reasons are i could see how that could be really kind of powerful when you're presenting your your offer yeah yeah i mean i don't know whether architects tend to do that how much do they delve into the the whys well in my experience probably nowhere near enough that's something that i probably didn't do for quite a while throughout my career of, of selling architectural services and it's only in latter years that i've i've started doing that and tried to integrate it into my own sales process so yeah to try and find out really like people will often ring up and say you know we we need some plans for a house extension for example and so they kind of have an idea of what they think they what they think they need um but then actually then digging in and finding out the reasons behind it it really does give you a much fuller picture of how motivated they are mm. to to go ahead and mm-hmm. um, and also, I think exploring the consequences of of not doing it as well. Actually, they, they have reasons that they why they want to do it, but also asking them about what are the stakes, what's at stake here. You know, what are the consequences of not doing this thing? Um, which is another yeah. interesting thing that I've started asking people as well. Remember, don't forget to subscribe to my free weekly email newsletter. You can do that at mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC. And if you enjoy this episode, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club and leave a five-star review. Now back to the show. Yes, that's really interesting, isn't it? Like how motivated are they? Because you could spend hours a month doing quotes for people who aren't really that motivated to take action right now. I mean, that would be a really frustrating place to be in unless you probe the why why now what's really going on how how motivated are you to take action within the next few months you might think you might end up thinking oh they've got they've said no because of me and it's not it's because they just weren't in a position to buy yet and that can start refining your sales process and your marketing because i always say sell to people who are ready to buy which sounds really obvious but so many people don't they they meet people a little bit too early on in the process and they have those sales conversations too early on when they end up in a no it feels like a rejection like a personal rejection is just like they're not ready to buy yet they weren't ready to buy that's um that's a really interesting point and i think sometimes as you know architects architectural service providers we can forget that Potentially, this is it's a huge investment for people to make, particularly if it's a homeowner that's doing some kind of renovation or extension. Other than buying the house, it might be their single biggest investment that they make in the whole life. You think how how far ahead and how many how much research you might do if you're buying a car or thinking about a family holiday. Often it's done months and months in advance of when you're actually ready to buy anything. And I think we forget sometimes how long that leading time can be before someone is ready to buy. Yeah. Years ago, we had a terrible experience with a very pushy, you know, she was part of a bigger company and she's, she was sent around to give us a quote for our kitchen. And we were, we were just speculating. We were just like, what, what's, what's possible with this remodeling of, you know, do we knock through? Do we not knock through? And she tried to go for the sale 
there and then. It's like, we, we haven't even decided whether we're knocking through or not yet. How can you sell us? And she was doing all these weird, like, imaginary calls to the manager. Yes, I'm sorry. It's, I don't think it's going to be a yes. Tra- she was trying to pressure us into buying. <laughs> What's going on? This is weird. No way. I don't know whether those sort of things work or not. They must, they must work for a proportion of people. Well, may- maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, when it comes to, to getting quotes, uh, uh, I mean, most people will tend to get free, at least free quotes. And this goes for kind of other service providers as well. But if people are going to be spending significant amount of money on an architect or an architectural service provider, probably going to get free quotes. So mm. in a competitive industry like architecture, how can we stand out from the crowd? Yeah, I think that goes down to, we're going to have the conversation about niching. How au fait are architects as, a, in a, as an industry f- about niching? Are they, do we have to give it a definition or not? <laughs> let's, let's do the, the niching 101 or the, the niching for the, uh, the listeners overseas. Okay, right. So I've got a love-hate, mainly hate relationship with the word niching <laughs> because I think it implies that your whole business focuses on a very narrow proportion of the available marketplace. I don't like that because it's it feels very restrictive and it is restrictive. Like it works for a minority of companies where they've taken a very, very small proportion of their audience and they've really, really focused on it. But these companies are usually very uh, big, usually the way they've worked it. Um, so they've got the volume. So what you... You don't have to do that. You can have a range of services for different people and each offer has to have a very, very sharp target market for each one. So if I had, if Janine had a, um, I'm talking about about myself in third person now. If Janine had a fantasy football league for architects and I had an architect firm, I would have like an offer for um you know, let's use the example of granny annex. I'd have, you know, right, you're looking for a granny annex. I've got the perfect thing for you. It's for people who absolutely love their loved one and they want to bring them in, but they want to be part of the, you know, exactly how I articulated it before. That's that's the offer for that person, right? Um, and then I'd have a different one for total home remodeling, adding at least 33% to the footprint and they've got a budget of at least 500 grand. I don't know whether that's a lot or little. I don't know. They've got at least a budget of, let's say, a million, you know. Yeah. And that would be a very specific profile of person. And then you'd, you might have a third one. You start with one and get that going and then you, you can add more as you go along. But being really targeted with the offers that you've got would allow you to cut through. It's like, oh, well, you want this person. You can absolutely pick one and you could go deep on that one thing. You could be the kitchen diner person. I don't know whether that's a desirable place to get uh, to go for. You could be the Victorian conversion kitchen diner person. And you've done so many of them, you can almost do them. You can knock them out, bang, 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 bang. And you could be com- more competitive on price because you were the absolute... I know the problems that occur with Victorian properties and I, I know what you're going to need before you're even going to ask it. And, you know, yes, you could you could reduce the amount of time you could spend on each one because you're such an expert, but you could arguably charge a little bit more because you'd be able to pick bits up that a non-specialist would miss. Do you know what I mean? 
I, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I Getting love- very excited. I'm planning a whole architectural company. I'm like, oh, I could have a, I could have an offer for this person. Yeah, I'm launching tomorrow. Do it. <laughs> um, that's really interesting, though, because I love the idea that because I, I think there's probably some misconceptions there about this idea of niching. That in niching, it's like, oh, well, I have to just be like the garage conversion guy or whatever. Mm. Was actually as long as that offers a niche that you could actually still serve people in a variety of different ways, as long as the messaging is like crystal clear and very specific for each of those individual offers. Yeah. And it would help if they came under the same banner, you know, it would help if you could imagine if you were the garage conversion guy, that would be really handy. You would cut through really, really well. And then you could have offers within that category. You could say, you know, you've got a small, medium and large, or large. You could have, you know, um, what would large be? Double garage, dugout, basement, pool installation. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So as long as try and keep those offers within the same realm you You don't want to be doing like you know a garage conversion guy stroke comedy juggler expert well no i mean that would be really diverse wouldn't it yeah but i'm wondering you know if you had an architecture firm that had you logically could have total home conversion garage conversion extension kitchen diner extension annex you could have those things if you could have them all still with an umbrella over them like i only deal with people whose properties are 10 million plus yeah and they they want the they want everything to a certain standard you know what are those indicators that those people would want if you can have a theme it would be better got it got it a common thing is that there'll be some practices that will specialize just in uh, what we call like domestic client work so homeowners doing renovations and extensions of course but yeah, then yeah, yeah. there's also commercial clients that maybe yeah. you know it could be works to business premises or it could be a housing development or a property developer or, or kind of anything else anybody else that needs architectural services that isn't doing doing works on their home so that's another way yeah. that it could be kind of um contained within a niche it could be we just do commercial work and these are the offers or we just do the domestic client work and, and these are the ways that you can work with us. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, I hadn't really got that in my head. Um, exactly, yeah, you can imagine there might be niches, let's use that word, within the commercial sector as well. Mm. So like Warehouse, remodeling or something. On the, on the subject of niches then, We've, we talked a little bit about niching and, and some of the benefits. Are there any other benefits of niching that we haven't already covered um, that are worth worth sharing? I think um, one of the benefits of niching, one of the almost side benefits, because the main benefit is you're going to cut through easier and you're going to be able to get easier, inverted commas, leads and arguably charge more. I think it just does have a halo effect once you've cracked it it does have a momentum of itself and and you will start getting those better quality referrals people you'll be known for stuff i think it's just a, a sort of a yeah your your the ball is rolling in your favor um and it, it will allow you to say no to the smaller jobs i don't know i can imagine somebody specializing in smaller jobs but if you you know the jobs that you find less desirable 
they will crop up less and you'll have to say yes less to those less desirable jobs. It does focus your mind and you, you when you get it right, it does click. You're like, ah, I found my groove. Yeah. And it, it does, it's good for your confidence. It's good for your marketing cut through. It's, it's it, like a halo effect hits all elements of your business. So if there's anyone who's, who's struggling to price their their architectural services, could you give a quick summary of what you'd recommend to do based on what we've talked about today? Ooh, if they're struggling, are we talking about somebody a bit earlier on in their architectural business? Not, not, necess- not, necessarily? not necessarily. It could be somebody that's been, um, I mean, I've been doing it for a long, long time. And, and even sometimes I question pricing and and have struggles with it so it could be somebody that's an established business owner what i like doing sometimes for for myself and i know it's helpful for clients as well is sometimes you can almost what's the word not taunt yourself but you can say look look at what these other people are paying are are charging and they're not going to do the detailed work that you're going to do they're not going to care as much as you they they've got other costs built in you know sometimes looking at what the slicker bigger businesses are charging for things can give you confidence that you can charge more so that's that's something like practical that you can do um i mean a lot of it is experience and charge you know when somebody bites your hand off that you've charged too little Mm. (laughs) and gradually you learn to charge a bit more um what you know the biggest tip which we've already shared is is placing the price in your own mind as much as the clients. If you can really associate the price, what you're charging with the benefit you're bringing to their life, that how will their life be afterwards? What have other clients said after you've helped them remodel their house or, or you know, in the, in the business context after you've created this, you know, and knowing 100% that it's safe and fit for purpose and whatever – you've managed to do for testimonials if you manage to get some kind words after you've done a job you know it's so say in your own mind that the price is that's what they're paying for not your time not the actual drawings that you're doing for them that's one of the best things you can do but a lot of it is just iterations you know getting a bit bolder and and you know the next price put it up a bit and the next price put it next time put it up a bit i love that that's a great tip we could even do that after every project, I suppose. Just keep tweaking it upwards. Yeah, yeah. I know quite a few people who every every sale they get, they add on whatever it is, five ten percent, and they've made another sale they put on five ten percent. Brilliant, um, Janine. Is there anything else you wanted to say that we we haven't covered in the conversation today? I feel like we've been very efficient. I feel like we've we've covered pricing and proposals and niching and touched on sort of sales processes and things i think yeah i can't think of anything off the top of my head brilliant well we've we've done a good job then before we kind of wrap everything up um i wanted to ask i i love travel and discovering new places and i was wondering if you could tell me one of your favorite places and what you love about it now do you mean a building not necessarily it can be a building or it could just be any place, anywhere in the world, down the end of your street, abroad. Oh, that's all right. Because what springs to mind is down the end of my street. 
<laughs> we moved to we moved to this area a couple of years ago. Um, I'm now in North Hampshire, and um, one of the things I absolutely love about it is I can walk to Ludshot Common from my house. So one of my favourite things to do on a weekend um, is get away from my family <laughs> on my own, and I walk through Ludshot Common and I go to this posh deli place with that has a restaurant. But if I get there early, I can just have a nice cup of coffee on my own. And, you know, the walking clears my mind and I have a little notebook and I write some notes down and, you know, it could be anything. It could be journaling. It could be ideas for my business. It could be anything at all. And I walk back and it's lovely. That's one of my favorite, favorite places and favorite things to do at the moment. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I love that. Brilliant. So where can people go online to find out more about you, Janine? If they want to come and connect with me, LinkedIn is my favorite social media channel. So look up Janine Coombs at LinkedIn and don't be shy. Send me a connection request. If you just want, if you're just nosy and want to see what I'm all about, then go to janinecoombs.co.uk. Awesome. And can you remind everyone how to grab your free Charging More resource? Yes. So my, my uh, freebie takes you through the six steps to Charging More with confidence. It's a great little resource, even if I do say so myself. And I can't remember the URL. Janine, <laughs> forward slash charge dash more dash workbook, is it? I've got it here. It's janinecoombs.co.uk forward slash charge dash more dash workbook. And I'll put, I got it. You got it right anyway. And I will put that in the show notes so that everybody can go and get that. Uh, absolutely go and go and grab that from Janine. It's a, it's a really good resource. So Janine, just thanks ever so much for coming on the show. It's been great to chat with you today. Brilliant. Thank you so much, John. I've really enjoyed it. In the next episode, I chat with Chris Baxter, founder of Studio 11 Architecture. You'll discover how business coaching transformed Chris's architectural practice and learn how coaching can have a profound impact, not just on your business, but also on your personal growth as a business owner. You won't want to miss it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Architecture Business Club. If you liked this episode, think other people might enjoy it, or just want to show your support, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club, and leave a glowing five-star review. It would mean so much to me and makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. If you just want to connect with me, you can do that on most social media platforms. Just search for at Mr. John Clayton. The best place to connect with me online, though, is on LinkedIn. You can find a link to my profile in the show notes. Remember, running your architecture business doesn't have to be hard, and you don't need to do it alone. This is Architecture Business Club, 